the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our children and the covenant of grace. Next on Abounding Grace. Our God makes covenant with his people. And what that means is the subject of our time together today. And what that means specifically for our children is the further subject as well. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Hi there. Welcome to our program. We're continuing our survey of Luke, and we find ourselves in chapter 18 today, verses 15, 16, and 17. Kind of a mini-series that will wrap out the rest of this week here on Abounding Grace. With today's program now, Pastor Gary Wagner. Our children and the covenant of grace. We see here on our text, parents bringing their little children to Jesus. The disciples don't like it. And they tell these parents, don't bother Jesus. It's a waste of time. Take your children away because we have more important things to do and more important people to meet with than your little children. But Jesus sternly rebukes the disciples for keeping these believing parents from bringing their children to him. And at this point, the disciples are showing their ignorance of the mission that Jesus is on, again, as they did so many times before Jesus' resurrection and their baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Needless to say, the apostles were not an impressive lot before the resurrection. They were always misunderstanding Jesus. They were always showing their ignorance about his mission. And at this point, they were really no better than the so-called legal experts and lawyers that Jesus already condemned. What were the disciples doing? They were hindering parents from bringing their children to Jesus. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 52, Jesus said, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. So because of their ignorance, the apostles were doing the very same thing as the Pharisees, keeping little children from Jesus. Now, this incident of Jesus and the little children, taken out of context, is just a cute little story about how much Jesus loves little babies. And that's actually how this parable is presented. But we've got to see the powerful point that this story makes, and that can only be done in terms of its context. And its context is the entire Bible, as well as the theme of the entire Bible. 
So my introduction to the sermon today will probably be a lot longer than the sermon. In fact, we won't even get to the actual sermon until next Sunday. Because if you don't bear in mind the context, this is just going to be a cute little story about precious little children. The entire Bible has as its theme a covenant of grace that God has made with His people in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like a scarlet thread that goes through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And notice the words in it. It is first a covenant of grace that is unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. It is relationship that man does not deserve for God to even establish with him. It is a covenant, and a covenant is more than a compact. It is more than a contract. It is more than just an agreement between two parties. In the Bible, a covenant is a bond of intimate and eternal friendship between God and His people in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, God is our sovereign friend, and we are His servant friends. In fact, the highest blessing of salvation is for God's people to be brought into covenant life and covenant relationship with God. There is nothing higher than that, beloved. There is nothing more profound. There is nothing more spiritual than to be in covenant with Almighty God. That is, to enjoy fellowship with Him and communion with Him. That's the heart of the covenant. And in that covenant, God has given us a sovereign, dictated order of life. He's told us how to live in this world so as to truly be His disciples and to reflect His image into the world. Every part of this bond is dependent upon Him. He's the one who sovereignly and graciously established it and imposed it on Abraham. Do you remember that story where God came to Abraham, part of a family, probably a bunch of moon worshipers in the Ur of Chaldees? He speaks to Abraham, but he does not say, Abraham, I'm entering into a covenant with you and your children down through your generations. Is that okay? No. He does not ask Abraham's agreement or his permission. He says, Abraham, this is the way it's going to be for the rest of your life and for the rest of the world. You are mine, and your children down through their generations in an everlasting covenant, and I will be your God. It was sovereignly and graciously imposed, and God sustains it, and God administers it, and God determines who's going to participate in it. God determines all of its promises and its demands, its blessings. Everything about this bond of eternal friendship that God has established between Himself and His people in Christ is determined by God Himself. And that is what unites the Testaments together. If you talk to some people today, you would think that God starts all over again in the New Testament. 
That is, in how he deals with his people. You know, he had a covenant with Israel, and that just got all fouled up. So he brought that to an end, and he started all over again in the New Testament. I actually think one of the reasons that people misunderstand the Bible and thus God's covenant is why there are so many false views or false religions and so many denominations in the world. And it's because people start at the wrong place when they start reading the Bible. They don't start where God started in the book of Genesis. Instead, they go to the middle, to the book of Matthew, and begin reading there. But the Bible begins in Genesis. And if you don't start in Genesis, then when you get to Matthew, you will misunderstand what you are reading. God did not start a new covenant with the New Testament. There is no big wedge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament flows right out of the Old Testament naturally, normally, and harmoniously. The New Testament is based upon the foundation of the Old Testament. It's like having two, a two-room house with one roof. One room is the Old Testament and the second room is the New Testament, while the roof that covers both is the covenant of grace. And that's the way we are to see the Bible. The covenant of God brings unity to the entire Word of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only mediator of that covenant of grace. And that means because we are sinners and we are unworthy and we have forfeited any right to God's favor, there has to be a mediator, a, a go-between. Someone who represents the interest of God and the interest of man. Someone who will do whatever is necessary to remove the anger of God and the hostility of sinners toward God. And the Lord Jesus Christ did just that as the one and only mediator between God and man through his life, death, and resurrection. And that is the heart of the Bible. That's the story of the Bible. Every book of the Bible contributes something to help us understand the story of that great covenant of grace. And the story of Jesus and the little children must be seen within that. Now, I want us to focus this afternoon on one promise in God's covenant, and that was also a part of this story. And if you will turn with me to Genesis 17, we'll read verses 1 through 7, and we'll actually see the connection between that and what we're discussing today. You have to understand all of this to understand the powerful point of why Luke put this story about Jesus and the little children in his book. We read in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 7. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. 
For I will make you a father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And here's the key verse. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Notice that God sovereignly and graciously comes to Abraham right in the midst of this pagan culture, and he reveals himself. I am God Almighty. God issues a command to him, be blameless and obey me. Then he gives promises to him. Live in terms of my promise, he says. I'm going to be your God and the God of your children after you, down through their generations, an everlasting covenant. Now, the one thing I'd have you notice about this covenant is that it includes the children of Abraham, and it includes the descendants of Abraham. In fact, in every covenant that God makes with people in the Bible, it always includes their descendants. When God entered into a covenant with Adam before the fall in the Garden of Eden, Eden, Adam was the representative of all of his descendants, the entire human race. And whatever he did, the human race suffered the consequences of. When God made a covenant with Adam after the fall, he said, in the seed of the woman, there will be salvation. God made a covenant with Noah after the flood, and he said, this applies to your generations. To Abraham, he said, I will be your God and your children after you down through their generations. In the covenant that God made with Moses, it included all the generations of Israel. In the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel, it included his dynasty, his lineage, his posterity. And in the New Testament, nothing changes in regards to this. On the day of Pentecost, after the baptism of the church with the Holy Spirit, and after Peter preached a great spirit-filled, spirit-empowered sermon, thousands of people were saved, and he calls upon them and their families to be baptized. And he gives the reason, for the promise is to you and your children and all who are afar off. What is he saying? What he is saying to these men is nothing has changed in terms of the way that God blesses his people. Now in the New Testament, repent and be baptized because the promise of God to you and your children still stands in force as it has always stood all throughout the Old Testament. The promise is to you and your children, but there is a difference now. There is a difference in the New Testament for the promise, which is another word for God's covenant bond of friendship, promises. For the promise is not only for you, Jewish believers, and your children, but it is for the Gentiles, those that are afar off, and their children as well. It is not confined to uh, any one nation. 
So families far off as well as those near shall benefit from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ down through their generations. Now what I want us to look at today is how the Bible applies this promise of the covenant that God will be the God of his people down through their generations, including their descendants. So we're going to look at several passages in the New Testament. We're going to see how God, the leaders of Israel, individual parents, and the apostles understood and applied God's great covenant blessings. So let's first look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I will read verse 2. Because you could use this verse as the basis for Presbyterianism And covenant theology, it's that strong. Simply, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. You say, really? You're willing to base all of Presbyterianism on that one little verse? Well, to help me out here, let's look at the next verse. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us with all those of us alive here today. So what he is saying is, all of those people who are standing here on the verge of entering the land of Canaan, God made a covenant with us, and not just us, but with our fathers, all the way back to Horeb. Well, what's so significant about that? Well, where is Horeb? Horeb includes Mount Sinai. He's talking about the covenant that God made with them out Mount Sinai 40 years earlier. And during those 40 years up until now, everyone over 20 years of age died off as God's judgment on them. So the people that were standing there that day at Mount Sinai in Horeb were very young men and women, newborns and unborns. The point is, God made a covenant with us 40 years ago, they say. When he made that covenant with our fathers, he made it with us in them because God is our God down through our generations. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. The Israelites are here renewing the covenant and dedicating themselves to the Lord while on the verge of their invasion of the promised land. And all of Israel is there. And they're there to to renew their covenant with God in Deuteronomy 29, 14 and 15. Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant and this oath, but both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not with us here today. God says, I am making a covenant with you who are standing here today and those who are not with us here today. And what do you think that has reference to? It refers to those who have not even been born yet. Those people said, God made a covenant with us back when we were babies and toddlers. And this covenant also includes those of our children and grandchildren who are not even yet conceived. Because God said, I will be a God to you and to your children down through their generations. Now, 
Let's take a few minutes and look at three babies in the life of King David, where we can actually learn a great deal about God's covenant and how we are to apply it. The first baby was David and Bathsheba's first child that died when it was only seven days old. The second baby we're going to look at was Solomon, who maybe some of you don't know, was given another name of significance when he was born. Then the third baby was David's own infancy. We learn a great deal about how to apply God's covenant from these three babies. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David and Bathsheba have a baby that was conceived out of wedlock. When it was born, it was obvious that it was sick and would very soon die. So David takes himself up to his apartment. He doesn't talk to anyone. He doesn't shave. He doesn't eat. He doesn't leave that apartment. Everyone's worried about his health. And on the seventh day of the little baby's life, it dies. And everyone's afraid to tell David. Because if David was grieving so much over its sickness, how in the world will he respond when he is told of his baby's death? So, in fear and trembling, they tell him. And what does David do? He changes his clothes, he comes downstairs, and he eats perfectly normal. And he is asked, why are you responding this way? And here is what he said in verse 23. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And David saying that that thought comforts him. I don't want to grieve any longer. I miss my child and he shall not come back into this life. But I will go to him and there will be a reunion. Now let listen to what some, in fact many, liberal professors teach about this situation. They say in the Old Testament... Not only did the believers have no belief in resurrection, but they also had no belief in the afterlife as we do as Christians. They saw the afterlife, these liberals say, as some foggy, misty place out yonder somewhere. And then what David is saying is simply, I'm going to die just like my baby died. Now that's not very comforting, is it? Here is how David comforted himself, these liberals teach. You can't come to me, but someday I'm going to die just like you died. There isn't anything particularly comforting about this, is there? But what he thought, what he thought about that child comforted him. You won't come to me, but I will come to you. There will be a reunion. You are in heaven and I will come to be with you. But to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again before you die. 
So here David is speaking with confidence and assurance that he knows his little baby is in heaven who had to have experienced God's grace sometime in the seven days before he died. And David comforts himself with that thought because he believed the promise of God. I will be a God to you and your children after you down through their generations and everlasting covenant. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.